0: With uh, four children, we—we we, every one of them has their own personality. It's my oldest daughter that is very, very competitive. She gets that from Cindy. And so the Anna Sophia is just is our 13-year-old that just doesn't want to lose. When we were here in New York, she was, um, as a sixth grader, she was competing against all these kind of upperclassmen in speech. She just um, was an amazing uh, a speaker, and so she was competing. People couldn't believe. And then in her writing um, across New York City, with some of the schools, she was competing. And I'll never forget when Anna was um, training for her school's Olympic. I asked her. I said, "Why do you want to do this every day?" So she says, "I'm training for fourth place." I said, "Well, you didn't get th- you didn't get that from me." I said, <laughs> Fourth place." She goes I'm trading for four. I said why fourth place she goes because the ribbon is pink and that's the reason why she wanted to train they give a ribbon for everything my girl got 15th one of the girls got 15th and she still got a ribbon a turquoise so if you get a turquoise ribbon don't celebrate you were 15th in the in, so I'm just amazed and, and because every time you're in a race, every time there's something that comes, there's, a, there's a, a, a little award or reward that begins to come and even the pink ribbon that Anna is shooting for because she's training in her school Olympics to get that. I kept thinking to myself, who trains for fourth place other than my daughter and think about this, who would even train for second place? Nobody would train. We live in a society that begins to say blue is the only ribbon that we should get. Who dreams of being second? Who dreams of getting the red ribbon? And there is a story that I want to tell you, which is almost biographical for my own life, because it's something that I feel more than I'm just preaching today. And it's I want to talk to you about this second man. I want to talk about the red ribbon today. I want to show you a process and a school that God will bring you through. Because there is somebody, there is a red man in the Bible that literally went through 13 years of training just to get the red ribbon. Not even to be in charge, just for the red ribbon. And his name is Joseph. The training program, if we remember, God never told him you'd be in charge. He said, you're just going to get second place. And in second place, the training was still hard enough. And for 13 years, I began to think about this that God began to do something so deep inside of this man. One of my friends um, from England said this. He says, there is a long tradition that those who are used the most by God usually waited the longest. Those that were used the most usually have to wait the longest. And when you're in those training times, it's amazing what goes on inside of your heart and what God begins to do, not only in you, but even sometimes sometimes how you feel about the program that God has put you through. And I, sometimes I'll pick up my iPad as I'm getting ready to speak and even come here, and my children have this way of just finding it and writing notes on there. So my seven-year-old wrote on here, she says, I am in love with two boys. And so immediately, <laughs> I'm, I'm upset. I'm, and then she, she has dot, 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 Jesus and dad. I go, okay, that's all right. Because that was a little... <laughs> I was about to find those two boys and take them out, is what I was about to do. But I could tell you when you're going through those programs, not only sometimes do you not like yourself, sometimes you get angry with God. And sometimes in those moments, you start to see what's absolute inside of you. And I wanted to tell Lauren Gwendolyn, who is named after Sister Gwen Wilkerson, I wanted to tell her that I know you're in love with two boys, but sometimes those two boys that your dad gets mad at himself. And you're, sometimes your dad doesn't understand God. And we're, because of my misunderstanding of him, it's easy to get upset with him. And God is so patient with us that is willing to wait the whole thing out until the whole story begins to get explained. There's two, there's two verses I want to take you to today. And then I want to begin to do the in-between part. If you take your Bibles, go with me to Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. And in Genesis 37, verse 2, there's sometimes that the Bible affords us the opportunity to see the starting point and the ending point of something that he is doing in someone's life. In fact, when God begins to speak of Joseph, the Bible says that he was 17 years of age, 37-2 of Genesis, while he was pasturing the flock with his brothers and while he was still a youth, and God gave him a dream. And this dream was not going to be fulfilled if you kind of just jot right there in your Bible this very next verse, 41:46, because from from that moment to the end, what we're going to see in 41:46 was really the fulfillment of the dream that he has at 17 years old. It says in verse 46, Joseph was 30 years old. This is 13 years later when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. And this was the fulfillment. And one of the things that the Bible does with this amazing story is gives us the beginning point when Joseph is just a teenager, a student, just like some of you that are sitting here in the overflow in the New Jersey campus, there's a student in high school that God begins to call at a young age, gives a dream, gives a vision. And his vision was stars. were going to begin to bow down. Um, she's in the field would begin to bow down. And it was a issue of leadership and what God was going to call him to do in the political world. And really as a, as a world leader and at 17 years old, and then 13 years of God's curriculum begins to come to fruition in Genesis 41:46. 13 years is really the school in between the dream of chapter 37 and the fulfillment of chapter 41. And there is sometimes one of one of my favorite writers, a Methodist preacher named Elton Trueblood says this. He says, occasionally we talk about Christianity as something that solves all of our problems. And he goes, and it does. But long before it begins to solve problems, sometimes it increases our problems once we become a Christian. How many have ever seen that take place? <laughs> But all of a sudden you're going, thank you, Jesus, until you walk outside these doors and there's no choir there to sing. It's now you against the world. But the difference is you've got Jesus inside of you. That's the difference that takes place. And God begins to give Joseph a curriculum, a school that he's going to take him through between 37 and 41 that I think God begins to take every one of us through. And did Joseph really know what it was going to look like? He has a dream And has no idea what was going to happen. And what is amazing. Let me just say this to all of you. God is so smart to never show us the process. But only show us the end. Because if he shows us the process. I'm out of here. (laughs) Because what God does. Is God shows Joseph. That people are going to bow before you. You're going to basically be in leadership. And what happens is is all those things for 13 years doesn't even seem to come close. Because in the midst of that, and we'll discuss this in a second, he is betrayed by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold into slavery, put into a house of one of the officials, accused of raping his wife when it was really the opposite side. He was standing for sexual purity, then thrown in prison, made promises in prison, forgotten in prison, and all of this 13 years. And God never showed him that in the dream. Because if God would have, it wouldn't have been a dream. It would have been a nightmare. And now Joseph is about to enter into a school. How do you prepare a man who is going to be used to affect not just the nation, but the world? Does he get a Harvard MBA? Does he read a John Maxwell book? Does he get his leadership PhD? Does he get coaching from some CEO? Does he see what Starbucks is doing in their leadership? God's school is so different than what man's schooling is. One of the men that has been here at this church, Ravi Zacharias, says God does it his way. Listen to this. God trained Moses in a palace to put him in a desert. And he trained Joseph in a desert to put him in a palace. And God knows exactly what he's doing. So Joseph, for his curriculum, think of this for just a moment. Because his curriculum, here it is. And these are the three things I just want to speak to you today. He just simply says this. You're going to be betrayed by the closest people in your life. Number two, you're going to be falsely accused of something that you did not do and you cannot defend it. And number three, you're gonna be made a promise that is never delivered upon. So it's going to be, listen to this, it's gonna be betrayal, accusation, broken promises. And as much as I love, and I love calling her Dr. Teresa, as much as I love Dr. Teresa Conlon here, I guarantee you no summit course has, okay, 101 is broken promises and how to deal with that. Course number two is how to be betrayed by people. And course number three, we want to talk to you about how to be falsely accused. Because we don't train people like that. Because this is not a curriculum that you can teach on a blackboard. This is a curriculum that God has to put you through. It is a school that God begins, and it's not a school that is very pleasant, and it's not a school that you want to even be part of. But God begins to do it. That's why, can I just give a side note here? That's why I'm not a real fan of leadership books, but I'm a big fan of biographies. I don't read leadership books because they're too sterile for me, but when I read a biography, I want to see all the hardships that people go through. I don't want to see the end. I want to see the process. One of the people that Pastor Carter and I were talking about over dinner the other night was um, one of the great biography writers. Eric Metaxas wrote an incredible book on Bonhoeffer's life that has been on the New York Times bestseller. It is a a book of process on how God takes a voice of of this young German pastor. But there's one part of there. Talk about a process. There's one part in there that all of the German church that was standing for Jesus against Hitler's regime during World War II was wanted to get Bonhoeffer out and literally, with everything within them, raised all their money and sent Bonhoeffer here to New York City so he can go teach at Union Theological Seminary. And Metaxas tells us that when Bonhoeffer landed right here on Manhattan Island, he said the Spirit of God spoke to him and said, you're not supposed to be here, you're supposed to be in Germany suffering with your fellow pastors. What do you do And that was the part that got me. What do you do when you've taken this money and you came here and all of a sudden you use this money and now you're standing here at a crossroads, which to me, that's reality. You're at a crossroads. I've been sent here, but I don't think I'm supposed to go to Union Theological Seminary. I think I'm not only supposed to go back, but probably suffer with my fellow Christians. And eventually he would be sent to Flossenburg and hung at Hitler's request because of him being seen as a dissident. And you think to yourself... You don't read that in a a leadership book. This is a process that people begin to do. And those two years that he spent in prison are where we get all of his amazing works that God, the cost of discipleship, letters from prison, the life together. That wouldn't have been written at Union Theological Seminary as a professor. That's written when you're going through the process that God sends you through. That's what God begins to do with this man. And that's why... I was, I want you to understand that when God begins to do this, we don't want the process. So many times we want the miraculous and forget the process. And so many times I wanted in, when I'm in God's school, I wanted a miracle, but I didn't want to finish the schooling. That's why when I start watching some of the nonsense that goes on on Christian television, I can't even watch it anymore. It's it's the the new healing evangelist now. Literally, this is the new healing that's happening on TV that you come to his crusades. This is being announced all over Christian TV. Gray hair gets darker in his meetings. I'm going. Bald people start growing hair. We're both going. (laughs) And it even says if people want to lose weight, they go there and their pants become baggy in the meetings people want miracles instead of the process because it's in the process that God begins to put something deep inside of you that you can't get in a miracle situation. There is a moment that seems so much longer, but God sees it so much better to put us through those things. That's why I want you to keep this in mind is that when God begins to put you in this school and put you in this curriculum, He is doing something deep inside of you. And this is so personal to me. I walked into a Popeye's, not too far from here, chicken. I just, a few years ago, and as I walked into Popeye's Chicken, I was waiting in line, and it was like, it was like a a whole production. First lady gets up, gives the guy $20, she buys this meal, and the guy takes the money and looks at it to see if it's, and she was offended. She goes, every dollar you give me back, I'm checking to see if it's fraud. So she, literally, she checked at every dollar, and just, she goes, you're good, and so she, so I'm laughing, and then it was my turn to come up. And he said the very same thing he said to the lady. He says, welcome to Popeye's. Would you like the, spe- the spicy Cajun dinner? And for, for It's our special. I said, sure. He goes, well, we're out. I said, wait a second. I said, you're out? I said, why did you offer it? He says, it's in the script. He says, I have to offer it because it was in the thing." Now, listen. What I'm about to tell you is not in the script. This is part of my life tonight. So I want you to understand. I've preached messages from the script. This is something that's real tonight. So I want you to get this and I want you to hear my heart as we go through this. Because so many times, I think of the words of Oswald Chambers, the great devotional writer. He says, God can never make us into wine if we object to the fingers he uses to crush us. Because we want certain fingers to crush us, but we don't. We'll take Jesus' fingers, but not certain people's fingers. And so God decides to put Joseph in a school and says, Here are your three courses. Number one, write this down betrayal. When those closest to you throw you under the bus, or in his case, in a pit, and now you're betrayed, Genesis 37, by the closest people in your life. Listen to this and listen close, Times Square Church. No one realizes. That when they hurt you, they are preparing you. Let me say that again. They don't have to realize it. When people are hurting you, listen, they are preparing you. This is God's school. This is God's curriculum. That as A.W. Tozer said, that before God can use a man greatly, many times he must wound him deeply. And this is what God begins to do. He says, Joseph, in order to prepare you for a place that I'm bringing you, I want you to understand that it's not simply anybody that's beginning to hurt you. Because even the years, the almost 30 years that Cindy and I were in Detroit ministering in one of the hardest places in all of America, my goodness, I've been spit at. I've had bottles thrown at me. I've been shot at with guns. I've I've been cursed at. And it didn't bother me. But what's amazing is, is that the closest somebody comes, the closer they are, the more that the hurt begins to take place. Or get this, hurt is proportional to intimacy. The closer you are, the simplest thing can hurt you. That's why a gunshot wouldn't hurt me. But if I get if I get the wrong look from Cindy, it crushes me. You know what that's like. That you can just, she doesn't even have to say a word, but if I know I disappointed or if I did something and a look, something, a look that could come, that's the thing that can hurt even deeper than a gunshot, a bottle, or being cursed out on the street. I don't know those people who did that. He was at a street rally, it was speaking on the streets, witnessing to somebody, but that's not what happens. That's not betrayal, but the closer you are to people and God is going to show Joseph. He says, and not only am I just going to take people, I'm going to take your very brothers. And when those closest to you throw you under a bus or betray you, Proverbs 2030 simply says it this way, sometimes it takes a painful experience to make us change our ways. Proverbs 20, 30 says sometimes it takes a, a, a painful experience more than a textbook, more than what you could buy on Amazon, and more than you can experience at a seminary or even at a Bible class. Sometimes God says the curriculum and the school that I use is not instruction, but sometimes he'll use affliction. And pain is a tough teacher, but my goodness, do we learn. Betrayal by a child, a spouse, a trusted friend, even a minister, a church leader. And sometimes it's those things that begin to hurt deeply or wound deeply, but it becomes part of God's process, God's school, that if Joseph doesn't become a prisoner, think of this, if Joseph doesn't become a prisoner of Egypt, then he would never have become the governor of Egypt. If he doesn't get betrayed, he doesn't get to Egypt where he's supposed to be. That what you thought was an enemy was literally the push to get him to the spot He was supposed to be. And what you thought were people hurting you is really them preparing you. That's why this is so important. And the part that I have to do, that we have to do, that all of us have to do, is that when that begins to happen, you have to protect your hearts from being a skeptic, a cynic, and being a loner. Because it's easy just to simply go, you hurt me, you hurt me, you hurt me. I'm not trusting anybody. And that's not God's process. That's not what God wants to do. Because I don't think you can have any close brothers or sisters in your life unless you have a few scars in your heart. I don't think you can know and have close friends unless you first understood this whole process. And Because the knee-jerk reaction to betrayal is, then I don't trust anybody. Which is not how you pass the curriculum that God has. And this is so important because I believe, and this is just me speaking, I believe every godly man, godly woman that, that Jesus wants to use, I think many times in their life will face at least two or three crossroads of betrayal in their life a hero, a mentor, a close person, a family member that all of a sudden comes. And instead of this, instead of this beginning, listen to me, instead of this beginning to make you a loner, a cynic or a skeptic, it literally is meant to draw us closer to Jesus, to a friend that sticks closer to any brother. It's not to draw us away, but it's to make us press in more to Jesus. And it's at that point when you begin to look at the story of Joseph One of my favorite things when Joseph comes to the end of his story and finally reveals to his brothers, listen to this, and finally comes to his brothers and say, listen, it's me, Joseph. You know what's amazing in Genesis that you start to read about this? I think it's chapter 38. When Joseph reveals it, this is what he says over and over again, six times. He never says, you sent me here. He said, God sent me here. God put me here. See, you know when God's doing his purpose because you don't mention people, you mention what God has done in side of your life during every one of those situations it's God's curriculum the second class is simply this it's accusation It's to be falsely accused with no way to explain or defend yourself it's being accused of something that you didn't do but you can't even defend yourself that's Genesis 39 Joseph's first employer in Egypt is Potiphar and it's Potiphar's wife that begins to even make a move on Joseph because the Bible says he was handsome and the Bible tells us that Joseph, before God, and he said, I can't do this before God. And I can't even do this as against my employer. I can't even do this against Potiphar. And where he stood for moral purity, literally the accusation came against him that he, was a rape, that he was a rapist. And here is Joseph who can't even defend himself. And before he can even open up his mouth, he found himself in shackles and thrown into prison in Genesis 39. Couldn't even defend himself. Not only does God begin to bring you through betrayal, which is the closest people in your life, sometimes the closest people that will throw you under a bus and you're thinking, oh God, how do you use this? And God begins to show us that when it's all said and done, you don't talk about them, but you talk about what I've done inside of you. But also he talks about this issue of, of accusation. It's called rape of the boss's wife when really it was the opposite. Now, my take on Joseph is this, because it's pretty amazing. I'm amazed, not that my take is amazing, but what Joseph does is pretty amazing, because when I read the story of Joseph, is even after he is promoted and the dream comes true in Genesis chapter 46, when 13 years later, think about this, 13 years later, He never touched the boss's wife. He ran out of there and she grabbed his cloak. And all of a sudden, now he's accused of being a rapist. How, I I think to myself, when he gets let out of prison and he's sitting on the throne. And now he's in second in charge of the kingdom. Thank God I wasn't Joseph. Because the first door I'm knocking on. Remember me? That's what I would have done. I wouldn't even have said my name. And then I would have said, guess who's going to jail? You and you. Lock them up, put them away. That's what I would have done. And what's interesting to me is Joseph has the ability at that point to defend himself and tell the true story and instead he lives with the stigma of this even though he didn't do it because watch this because what do you do when you've been falsely accused when you want to show every text message every email No, look at these letters here's what the document says God goes keep your mouth shut I'll defend you you've got to be quiet and Joseph chooses to live with the stigma and you never hear the story of him straightening it out we have no account that Joseph's name was cleared he could have walked by houses and they go that was the one that did this to Potiphar's wife and he never cleared up the story and sometimes we in order for us to grow we have to live with ever being vindicated your walk and the blessing of God is the vindication instead of your side of the story Let me say that again, your walk and the blessing of God upon you is your vindication, not you telling your side of the story. And some of you are sitting here and so upset they haven't heard me that who cares? God knows what the truth is. God knows what's happening. It's amazing to me. We live in a time that Pastor Carter was talking about where God is being attacked and it's amazing to me that God is never in a rush to vindicate himself. He almost deliberately stands aside and lets his name be slandered and and being heaped all these accusations upon him and he is in no hurry to vindicate himself. And how much more should we be the same thing and just say, God, I trust you. When everything is said and done, you are my defense. You are my protector. You are my protector provided you sang it it's just hard to live it the third class and we close is this it's the broken promise class promise something and forgotten joseph while he's put in confinement where there are no cheers there's no vision casting he's not he's not writing blogs but yet you still while even in prison broken promises in a place where he's been betrayed He's been accused, and now he's about to experience what it is to have a broken promise of saying, I could do this for you, and to be forgotten. That's the hard part, to be promised something and then forgotten. And here in Genesis chapter 40, Joseph is in prison, and the two people that he meets in prison is the cupbearer and the baker who are thrown in there from from Pharaoh's court. How many times did I open up a mailbox in all the years of being in Detroit, looking for an envelope because someone promised to send me something in the mail. Because somebody said, I'm going to send you this for this project. Or how many times I, re- I remember, because when Pastor Carter or anybody goes somewhere, we, we never ask for, you have to pay us this and you have to sign this contract. And on my rider, I need green M&Ms in the, in the back room and water chilled to 60 degrees. It's none of that. We just do what God's called us to do. But there's some times where it's difficult, and they're just going, and, and the, the, the words that you hate to hear, thank you for coming. The check is in the mail. And I'm sitting there every day going, oh, God, they said, they said there is a check. And you open it up, and you're going, oh, I bind you, Satan. And then you're the next day, and there's nothing. And you're going, well, maybe they forgot. man. Oh, there was a holiday. And you're going through all this stuff. And I remember so many times this happening, and my, and always the words of my New York City cop dad always telling me, Tim, always remember that God balances the books. God's always in charge of those kind of things. And so that's why I'm thinking to myself, what's crazy is when Joseph is in prison and he meets a cup bearer and he meets a baker that are put there by Pharaoh and they begin, these two guys have a dream the night that they're in prison. And this is amazing because while they're having a dream, And here these guys come to Joseph and said, we had this dream. Do you know how to interpret them? And if I'm Joseph, at that point I'd say, hey, forget this dream bit. Because this really doesn't work. I'm here because I had a dream. So let's not really talk about dreams. It's not all that they're cooked up to be. Go talk to somebody else about this. I never would have. And here's Joseph. And he still interprets the dream. You know what's amazing, what I love about Joseph? Even in his lowest time, watch this, he's still being used in the gift that God gave to him. Which means you don't need a pulpit, a title, you don't need a position in the church to do what God needs you to do. You can be, watch this, he's in jail. He's wearing a convict's jumpsuit and still doing what God's called him to do. And some people, God's given you a gift. And because you're sitting in the chair going, I should have a microphone. I should be singing a song. I can dance out of the choir and I can do all that stuff. They haven't seen me come down. Here's a thought. Wherever God puts you, your gift should come out. I can sing, and they have me greeting. Then sing people to their seats. You sit right here. Then do that. Well, I'm a preacher. Then preach and welcome them. We thank you for coming to church today. God bless you. Just be used by God. You don't need a microphone. You don't need a I'm tired. Musicians, come. Here we go. (laughs) Listen. Listen. And what's amazing is that when Joseph, listen, when Joseph looked less like a leader, he was closer to the vision. Because he looked more like a leader in Potiphar's house. But in one day, God took convict 37298, took off a jumpsuit, put on a robe and said, I can change everything in one day, in one day. Now, listen, this is what I want to finish with, because this is so important. Because Joseph looked for a cupbearer or a baker that promised him that he. Joseph looks at him and says, hey, when you go back to the palace, tell them about me, get me out of here. And it's the only time that Joseph begins to appeal for man for help. And it's the worst thing to do because there's almost we almost have this implication in Scripture because it really goes down around chapter 40 and it just simply says, and he stayed there for two more full years. It was kind of like, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> Be quiet because it's so easy for somebody to come in. You're going like, oh, Pastor Tim, where are you at? Alabama, Louisiana, any openings down there? Keep your mouth shut because you may have to stay here for two more years. Let God open the door. Let God do the work and stop asking man to open it up. Greg, can we do that first song you did, that desert song? I think it is so appropriate. Listen, as we close, those in the overflow and those in New Jersey, those here in the sanctuary. One of my favorite preachers that I love to read his sermons is from Australia, and he's died many decades ago. His name is F. W. Borum. And I was so excited when Amazon put most of his books, all of his sermon books, on kindle because i just love to read him he had such a way of showing and making the scripture come alive and i was reading one of his messages and he tells of a a british scientist named russell wallace who discovered something very interesting about the emperor moth he said in his studies of insects he said he saw the final stage of the metamorphosis the final stage of the caterpillar turning into this beautiful flying colorful creation of God and he said he was at the final stage the final stage and he said and he saw him trying to bore his way through that hole and he said and there he was and Dr. Wallace Bormwrights had this idea he says what he did was he watched the struggle and what he did was he took a little penknife knife and made the hole bigger for the moth. And this is what he writes in his medical journal. He says, This moth gets out with ease. And he says, He was unable to fly. There was mucus all over him. And instead of flying, all he could do was walk. And he said, In a matter of hours, the moth died. He says, Because what he realized was, as small as that hole is, when that moth is trying to get out, what seems as a struggle, he says, all the mucus on his wings are coming off as he's getting through. the. And what you think is a struggle is really a purifying process to get you to where you're supposed to be. And some of you are sitting in a place going like, this is so small, this is so constrained, and you have no idea that God is getting the junk off of us. He's getting it off me, he's getting it off you. And what you think is a struggle, God goes, this is a school. What you think is difficulty, God goes, this is a curriculum. And what you think has no purpose, God goes, just hold on. You're about to fly in just a few moments stand together. Come on, let's put our hands together and thank God for what he wants to do. Pastor Tim, do I need a struggle at this time? Does the struggle get the gunk off my wings? Instead of me just creeping around, do I lose the ability to try to fight through this or am I looking for man to make the hole a little bit bigger and I have to tell you not only did Joseph do that but I know at times I've tried to do that. I try to get men to make the hole a little bit bigger and God goes no, no, no. no. This is not about a bigger hole. This is about getting the junk off your wings. This is about getting you to the place that you thought was going to be an issue. So what is God doing in me? What is God doing in you? What he's, he's, he's teaching me how to trust and befriend despite being hurt and betrayed. He's teaching me how to trust God's vindication. Instead of me showing that I'm innocent, let me trust God to deal with that. And finally, it's grabbing hold of God, of what God can do for me, instead of what men can do for me. Because if I'm trusting in a cupbearer and a baker, Who knows what they can do? But God shows me in one day you can take off a prison jumpsuit, put on a robe, and be exactly what you're supposed to be for God. That's what he wants. And I tell you, I tell you, I tell you, it's so much easier to preach than to go through this. But this is not a script. This is not... This is not the spicy Cajun special of Popeyes. This is the real deal. This is not just on the script to preach. This is something that you've learned. Because some of you are sitting here and you've been betrayed by the closest people. And you're finding skepticism, cynicism. And instead of saying, God, you know what? Sometimes there comes some scars so you can bring the right people in my life. And sometimes, Lord God, There are accusations that I don't even have any way to defend myself at the job, at the university, on campus, to a roommate, in a church, anywhere. But God, I'm gonna trust your vindication over me showing emails and text messages. And finally, God, I'm tired of asking people to get me out and cut the hole a little bit bigger when really actually, God, you're getting the junk off me so I can begin to be exactly what you've called me to be. And so wherever you're at today... Whatever you're feeling, wherever you're at, I want you just to bow your head for just a moment. I wish, I wish that the diplomas that I have prepared me for ministry, but it doesn't. I'm thankful for them. They were used, every professor, every curriculum were used. But nothing has been used deeper in my life than when God puts me in his school. I just don't know when to enroll it just happens and here's what I want to ask you if you're on in the balcony if you're on the main floor maybe you're here today and just say Pastor Tim I'm in that school today I'm in that school and everything in me wants to get me to a board but I know he's getting the junk off these wings that I can be what God wants me to be on Wall Street at university at my office building, in my neighborhood, and, and God is doing something in me. It's not a matter of just keeping notes in a service. It's not a matter of just going to 201 and 101 teaching here, knowing God, experiencing But there's something deeper that's happening. And your prayer is this. I don't want to abort. I don't want to abort. I don't want to, I don't want to get myself secluded. I don't want to begin to start defending myself. And I don't want to begin to look to man to begin to get me out of the mess. But I'm going to trust God. I'm gonna trust God in the midst of this. And if you're here today and say, Pastor Tim, I'm in that curriculum. I'm in that moment right now. And he's getting the gunk off my wings. And I want God today, I want God to help me make it through the rest. Of this. Whatever course you're in, you may be in betrayal 101, accusation 201, broken promises, 301. Whatever it is, and if you're here today, balcony, main floor. If you're saying, Pastor Tim, pray for me because I don't want to abort mission. I want you to get out of your seat as we get ready to sing this. I want to pray for you today. I want to pray because I want you to stay in this fight. This is God's school. This is God's curriculum. As we sing the desert song, Greg, would you lead us? Come on, you come because we're going to pray for you today. And I want us to close before Pastor Carter comes. I want to pray for you. Those in the the annex, we want to pray for you. Those at this altar, listen, can I just tell you? All I wanted to do today was to bring definition and hope what you're going through. This is a curriculum. This is a school. Don't be, and don't do what I did. Listen, when, when those curriculums comes, you're going like, to, like I did, when, when Lauren Gwendolyn writes down there, I'm in love with two people, Dad and Jesus. And sometimes in the school, I get angry with both of them. I get angry with myself and I get angry with God only because I don't understand what I'm going through. And then when it's all said and done, you're going, that's what you were doing. That's what you were doing. Forgive me, God, of, being, of questioning what you, were, what, what you were doing and in your path. And what God does, thank you that you didn't show me the process. Thank you that you didn't show me the process. Thank you, Lord God, you didn't show me a pit, you didn't show me betrayal, you didn't show me any of that. But you're right in the midst of it. How many are right in the midst of this? That's why we're going to sing after we pray that second verse and then know what I'm going to ask you to do? When, when we start singing that and Greg starts leading us, I'm going to ask you to lift up those mucus covered hands. And I want you to and say, I may not be able to fly yet, but I can praise with these wings. These may not be built yet for flying. One day they will. So here's what I want you to do. Let's practice. Come on, get those wings up, get them up there and say, listen, I, I may not be able to fly right now. I may not be able to fly, but you know what? I can praise him even though I'm not at the graduation ceremony. Father, in the name of Jesus, strength in your school. God, for those that have felt betrayal, let them know, Lord God, you're a friend that sticks closer than any brother. And they're new friends. There's loyal friends on the way, Lord God. They don't have to seclude and be a loner and live a life of distrust. And God, there's a school, Lord God, of accusation, but we trust your vindication. And God, instead of us trying to get a platform to show what the real truth is, and God, with these mucus-covered hands lifted high and not being able to fly just yet, I join, my friends. I don't feel like I'm at the flying stage just yet. But God, we start today saying, it's not man that's going to get us through. We're looking for people to cut the hole a little bigger. But today, in the struggle, remove the junk and get us ready for what you want to do. Hallelujah.